Support for Yale Cancer Answers is provided by AstraZeneca, a biopharmaceutical business with a deep-rooted heritage in oncology and a commitment to developing cancer medicines for patients. Learn more at AstraZeneca-US.com. Welcome to Yale Cancer Answers with Drs. Howard Hoxter, Anise Chagpar, and Stephen Gore. I'm Bruce Barber. Yale Cancer Answers is our way of providing you with the most up-to-date information on cancer care by welcoming oncologists and specialists who are on the forefront of the battle to fight cancer. This week, it's a conversation about palliative care for cancer patients with Dr. Laura Morrison. Dr. Morrison is an associate professor of medicine at Yale School of Medicine and an attending physician on the palliative care consultation service at Smilo Cancer Hospital. Dr. Hoxter is a professor of medicine and medical oncology at Yale School of Medicine and the clinical program leader of the gastrointestinal cancers program at Smilo. You know, we usually start out with, you know, people introducing themselves a little bit. Do you want to tell us a little bit about, you know, your background and what training's involved in becoming a palliative care specialist? Sure. Thank you, Howard. I'm delighted to be here as a hospice and palliative medicine specialist, or what we call a palliative care doctor. Most of us um, now go through one year of fellowship training. Um, that includes you know, clinical rotations, learning about both hospice and palliative care. And um, we have you know, two or three fellows coming through annually. Mm-hmm. And your personal background, how did you get into palliative care? I actually had, um, I came through at an interesting time when palliative care was not really a known specialty. Mm-hmm. So I didn't learn about it until after I finished my internal medicine residency. And I felt a pull in that direction, um, really toward these opportunities to have more difficult discussions with patients and make you know, really strong connections and have deeper relationships with patients around challenging illnesses and helping them really clarify what their wishes are for the kind of care they receive. And so at that time, I went ahead and did a geriatrics um, one-year fellowship and then went on and did an additional one-year training program in palliative care. But the training that we have now is really much different. It's accredited, and um, fellowships have now been more official for over 10 years. Um, From the American Board of Internal Medicine. Well, what's interesting is that palliative care is one of the few specialties, subspecialties, that people can enter from 10 different primary specialties. So someone can actually enter palliative care and do a one-year fellowship from pediatrics, surgery, psychiatry, internal medicine, and a number of other subspecialties. And do you find most of the people are still internal medicine trained or mostly? Well, again, it's a great question. And what we see is really interesting because the majority currently are still internal medicine Second would be family medicine, but we're seeing a huge um, trend of people entering from other subspecialties. I see. Yeah, one of our fellows this year is from emergency medicine. Uh Uh-huh. Well, 
that's a difficult place to have a palliative care conversation, I guess, in the ED. So um, you talked about geriatrics, you talked about palliative care, and then a lot of people know about hospice. So these are all kind of somewhat interrelated but different. Can you kind of lay it out for us, like, how these things all work and, you know, the similarities and differences? Yeah, thank you for asking those this question because I think, you know, on a daily basis, I would say that I have the opportunity to try to explain these differences to at least one person, if not more. So there's all um, people shouldn't feel like they're in the minority if they're kind of confused about the differences. Um, I think it's most helpful to start by explaining what palliative care is because it's the broadest, really. Um, palliative care is a medical, um, it's, well, it's specialized medical care for anyone who has a serious illness um, and their family. And it focuses on really improving the quality of life that that person has. Um, by addressing pain as well as other distressing symptoms. What we usually say is that, it, that we provide an extra layer of support. And I think one of the critical things to realize is that palliative care is not limited in any way by time or the type of treatment someone is receiving. So palliative care can coexist with any other treatment and with any other physician that's involved. So in our setting, we're not taking over any of the management. We're there going along with all the other care that someone is getting already. So uh, this is Yale Cancer Answers. <laughs> you work at Smilo, but it's not necessarily limited to cancer. Right. Correct. Right. So any serious illness, um, current statistics would say that probably over half of the people we see at Smilo have cancer, but we are available throughout the whole Yale New Haven Hospital um, system, and we can see patients with heart failure, dementia, um, any other, you know, organ failure. Um, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. Mm -hmm. So people who have serious problem, problems from a serious illness, you're there to help relieve the symptoms. Absolutely. And so what are the, and, and how, how is that different from hospice, for example? Right. So that's the perfect next question. Hospice, by contrast, is one element of palliative care, but the thing that distinguishes it, which is critical to know, is that it's limited by both time and the kind of treatment someone can be receiving. So as a physician, for someone to be eligible for hospice, I need to be able to say that if their, their serious illness follows its natural course, that they are likely to die in the next six months, or that I wouldn't be surprised, even though that obviously is unfortunate. Um, similar. And again, that's not limited to cancer. That's Correct. If they have renal, you know, kidney failure, dementia, whatever. Exactly. Uh -huh. So any any life limiting illness potentially, um, if it seems like someone 
would be likely to die in the next six months. Um, important to know, though, that there's not any penalty if someone lives longer than six months. And we often see that with hospice support, people can live longer than six months. Um, the other important criterion is that um, someone is not pursuing curative or life-prolonging therapy any longer. And so once again, just to summarize, for the larger palliative care that we provide here at Smilo in the hospital, people can be getting any sort of treatment, whether it's curative or life-prolonging, um, and, and they can potentially be even curable and still be getting palliative care. But for hospice, we are anticipating that the illness is going to take someone's life and they're no longer pursuing curative or life-prolonging treatment. So for the cancer patients, as a palliative care doctor, you're trying to relieve pain most, you know, probably most commonly? Exactly. Um, some other symptoms, nausea, vomiting, anorexia, other things that people have either from their disease or treatment? Right. So for almost every um, serious illness, people will have multiple symptoms. Um, fatigue is perhaps the most common. Pain is quite common as well. But there's a wide range of symptoms like nausea, um, issues with the bowels, you know, like constipation, depression and anxiety are something that we work on a lot with people. Um, and I think in that regard, not only are we focusing on physical symptoms, but we're also focusing on what we call emotional coping or support. Um, and we're also focusing a lot on support around communication. And in that regard, what I mean is really helping people identify what their goals are for their care. And so there's a lot of communication support as well. Like <clears throat> when I see a patient as their oncologist, they, I don't really usually ask them, what are your goals? But you always ask them, what are your goals? We try to ask. I mean, that question in itself can be challenging for some people. Some people don't necessarily think about their goals every day. But I think what we look for is to make sure that the treatment they're receiving is really in alignment with what they're hoping for or maybe what is most important in their life at that time. You know, what, for instance, um, I've had a patient who was trying to get to a grandchild's graduation, you know, or so, some of these other really important events like a trip. Uh -huh. um, and, you know, we would try to focus things around that, maybe even their treatment schedule. Right something or their pain management, just trying to help them figure out how to be able to get to the event, be present and really participate in the event by focusing on their symptoms. So, uh, you know, oncologists such as myself, we give a lot of treatments with a lot of side effects and we're pretty focused on helping manage the side effects. Um, what kind of thing do palliative care doctors add to that? That's a really important question, too, because I want people to realize that 
oncologists also do palliative care. Mm -hmm. Some have had even a whole fellowship, you know, one year of fellowship training in palliative care. So it's, it's really not that oncologists are not incorporating palliative care into their practice. I think what we realize is that one person can only do so much, and you're bringing up something that's you you know somewhat unique to palliative care in that it's not just a physician, it's a whole team of people. And so I think the oncologists and hematologists can also benefit from this whole additional team, not only a physician colleague, but nurse practitioners, chaplains, social workers, um, art therapists, pharmacists that are really focused on these areas. Um, and so to answer your question, it's a whole team approach. So for instance, if someone is having anxiety, um, there are certainly some initial um, approaches that an oncologist may take as well. Um, and some of us will think of some medication management, but you know, it may be more about their spirituality or it may be more about um, their coping and something they're worrying about, about a future decision or perhaps, um, you know, accomplishing something they're trying to do. And so a whole team, this addition of palliative care, may really be able to help support someone more fully where an oncologist may be limited in time and not have that whole team. Well, that's very helpful. There was a study that was published in New England Journal recently that came out of Boston that compared patients just being treated by their oncologist to patients who had their oncologist plus palliative care right from the beginning, not at the end, not to, you know. And the people with the palliative care seemed to do better. So why, what do you attribute that to? I think that's a great question. Um, that study is one that, you know, was a major study that came out in the palliative care field and I think for oncology as well. I think a lot of it does come down to the team. Um, the number of opportunities there are for interaction, I think, increases for support from multiple people. Um, and so I, I think there's an opportunity to really get at more of that emotional coping. But there are also then more opportunities to move communication forward and really allow patients and their family members to voice maybe deeper concerns that they don't, they're not able to get at in, you know, fewer interactions. Concerns about advanced care planning, concerns about their finances. Yeah, those are important today. Well, we're going to take a short break now for a medical minute. Please stay tuned to learn more information about palliative care with Dr. Laura Morrison. Support for Yale Cancer Answers is provided by AstraZeneca, working to change the cancer paradigm through personalized medicine. Learn more at AstraZeneca-US.com. The American Cancer Society estimates that over 53,000 new cases of pancreatic cancer will be diagnosed in the United States this year. This number represents about 3% of all cancers in the U.S. and about 7% of all cancer deaths. 
Clinical trials are currently being offered at federally designated comprehensive cancer centers for the treatment of advanced stage and metastatic pancreatic cancer using chemotherapy and other novel therapies. Fulfirinox, a combination of five different chemotherapies, is the latest advance in the treatment of metastatic pancreatic cancer, and research continues at centers around the world looking into targeted therapies and a recently discovered marker, HENT1. This has been a Medical Minute, brought to you as a public service by Yale Cancer Center. More information is available at YaleCancerCenter.org. You're listening to WNPR, Connecticut's public media source for news and ideas. Welcome back to Yale Cancer Answers. This is Dr. Howard Hoxter and my guest, Dr. Laura Morrison, who's joining me tonight to discuss, to discuss palliative care for cancer patients. So we were just talking about a study that was recently published in a prominent journal comparing chemotherapy alone or medical oncology treatment alone to medical oncology treatment with early palliative care for lung cancer patients. And the group that got palliative care had a lot of better outcomes. So do you, you know, what, what did they find in that study and how, how does that dovetail with your personal experience? Yeah, that's a really terrific question. Um, this study was really unique in looking at a group of newly diagnosed patients with non-small cell lung cancer. And all of these patients actually had metastatic disease at diagnosis. So they already had very advanced illness. One group was randomized to normal oncology treatment, and the other one got the same treatment but had a palliative care intervention, which largely included um, contact with palliative care when they were in the hospital but more so um, when they were following in clinic. And so the interesting results were that the people who had the palliative care added had less depression documented, um, higher quality of life measures, um, and over time, toward the end of their life, it appeared that their wishes were followed more closely when they expressed wishes for less aggressive treatment and more of a comfort focus at the end of life, including getting to hospice more. Um, later analysis also showed that the people in both groups got the same amount of chemotherapy. So the amount of treatment really did not change as far as the cancer-directed therapy. Um, and I think the other part you were referring to was that the patients that got palliative care were documented to actually live almost three months longer than the patients who didn't get palliative care. And so obviously that was a major finding. Um, similar follow-up studies have shown a similar trend. Um, and so what I think we take away from that is that, you know, not every patient is going to live three months longer, but certainly their life isn't, their lifespan isn't going to be shorter. So that's very reassuring and kind of goes along with what I said earlier about some people living longer in hospice. Um, and so, you know, again, I think it's that 
the support, the added support on top of the support that the oncologist and the staff were providing seems to really have a positive outcome and people really being on top of getting the care that they're really looking for. So it's like, uh, you know, an additional lifeline or phone a friend. You know, you've got another group of people to go to to help out, help you out with problems, to ask questions. Absolutely. And typically that would again include, as hospice has a similar team dynamic of multiple people there, but palliative care does as well. And so all of those folks would have had a chaplain, a social worker, um, registered nurses as well as nurse practitioners available to them, along with perhaps other therapists like art therapy or music therapy. Mm -hmm. And do you see the role of or what you do a little different when it's earlier on in patient course of disease and later on? And you know, how do you translation people with end-of-life issues? Right. So what we see now nationally is that the trend really is toward earlier referral. And so I think that's a key message we want people to understand today is that palliative care can have a role much earlier in cancer, but also in heart failure and dementia. Um, from the study we've been talking about, it became very clear on a national level that it probably makes sense for many patients with lung cancer, colon cancer, some of specifically the solid tumors, um, to perhaps be referred to palliative care as soon as we know that they have cancer that has spread or what we call metastatic disease. Um, but any patient, even as early as diagnosis, is really eligible for palliative care. And so as a palliative care specialist, I do now have more opportunity to see people very early. Um, I have seen patients in the last couple of years who are five to 10 years into their course. I remember a specific breast cancer patient who I saw probably eight or more years into her course. And we met, and I remember her essentially saying, why didn't I hear about you five years ago? Um, she was really feeling that she could have benefited from some of this extra support much earlier. And so we do see people now much earlier. And I think the oncologists are really seeing the benefit of bringing us in. But as you're pointing out, we also um, have opportunities to take care of people that are much later in their course. You know, we are always still hoping that things will go as well as they can, and perhaps there will be some curative option. But we do find that we take care of many people who have their disease that's progressing through treatment, and we are at the end of life for them. And so we really do help a lot with that whole area of support, that whole person and their family toward the end of life as well. And uh, so how, 
you know, how should physicians introduce this to patients, and what should patients take away if the doctor says, hey, I'd like you to go to the palliative care clinic? I mean, it's they're already tied up with coming every couple of weeks for chemo and the nurses and the treatments and calling with the side effects and whatever. It's, it's another clinic visit. Right. So... Right. I think there are two parts there to that question. One is um, how does an oncologist or how does a cardiologist or how does a geriatrician bring in palliative care? And I think a lot of our health care provider colleagues, even nurse practitioners, physicians, assistants, registered nurses, I think underestimate their role at sort of providing that link to our care that we can provide in palliative care. The voice of oncologists and the voice of even registered nurses at the bedside is very strong in helping patients and families realize how much they can benefit from that extra support. Um, And so I think, as I was saying before, I think there's much more recognition now that especially when people have metastatic cancer, that that can be one point of at least reassessing whether palliative care could have a role. Um, We're finding now, interestingly, that it's not uncommon at all to receive referrals to us where the patient or family have actually initiated wanting palliative care. So that's a new trend as well. But your point about adding on additional visits um, is a challenging one. And certainly when I meet uh, a patient and their family in the hospital, we talk about whether it makes sense to add on a clinic. Um, In our own setting, sometimes we're able to um, coordinate the visits so that it's not an extra trip. But I think when people are in other hospital settings and other healthcare settings, it certainly can be a bit of an added burden in itself to add another doctor, to add another potential clinic. Um, but I think it's a matter of kind of weighing the risks, you know, the burdens and benefits, so to speak. Right. Yeah. And there, uh, obviously, there are particular people who are looking for these things. So so patients should not be, should not feel embarrassed, should not feel shy about saying to their oncologists, their nurse practitioners, whatever, or if it is another, you know, serious illness that's life-threatening, you know, I'd like to see a palliative care team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so One thing that I can share additionally is that in the last 15 years, the number of palliative care services nationally has grown tremendously. So um, almost, I mean, by far the majority of hospitals in the United States now have palliative care services. That may vary from a huge full team to maybe even just having one nurse practitioner or one doctor. So in some settings, it's still quite limited as far as the person power to be out seeing patients. But, you know, I think our listeners need to know that, you know, throughout Connecticut, palliative care is really quite available, not just here at Smilo. Um, And, you know, that that care is available throughout the spectrum as well um, in hospitals 
There are palliative care clinics, although those are less common. And then as well, there is the opportunity now in many places to have palliative care home nursing services that are really focused on palliative care. And that is separate from those outpatient hospice services. Right, right. So, I mean, when we're treating the patient, we're pretty much focused on the patient and, you know, what we're doing for them, what we're doing to them, what we're doing to help them cope with what we're doing to them. But there are a lot of other people involved, and sometimes I find, like, the caregivers are kind of the unsung heroes, especially when people have long illnesses and they can get treated for years today. That's that's a big burden on the caregivers. So you provide services to the caregivers, too, unlike the primary oncologists. Well, I, I think all of us know that oncologists are trying to be tuned in to the family members as well. But again, time is limited, and the training is limited. And having a whole team that can attend to family members as well as the patient is very powerful at times. And so, yes, I agree with you. The caregivers are often, I mean, just so inspiring. Dr. Laura Morrison is an associate professor of medicine at Yale School of Medicine and an attending physician on the palliative care consultation service at Smilo Cancer Hospital. If you have questions, the address is canceranswers at yale.edu, and past editions of the program are available in audio and written form at yalecancercenter.org. I'm Bruce Barber, reminding you to tune in each week to learn more about the fight against cancer here on WNPR, Connecticut's public media source for news and ideas.